about a third of the way into Albert Samaha's 384-page non-fiction book called Concepcion, you've fallen into a rhythm with the way the author unspools the twin threads of both his family history and the history of the Philippines. Samaha is a journalist in his day job, so even when narrating the personal details of his family life, he maintains an easygoing, personal, but still magisterial tone where each section flows across longish paragraphs, slowly filling up every page. Then, in page 93, in a chapter called Genesis, the signal gets broken. The sections get sliced down to one short paragraph, and they come at you in quick succession, like a burst of rival fire. In his epic retelling of Philippine history, Albert Samaha is at that point when the Americans have arrived in the Philippines and he suddenly stops trying to retell history and lets the historical record speak for itself. Here's Albert Samaha describing the thought process behind that section of the book. It occurred to me like, I, there's nothing I need to add. The quotes speak for themselves. And what better way to indict America's decision for, go, for invading the Philippines than to just l let them hang themselves in their own words, you know, in, in journalistic terms. That's the entry point, right, to, to sort of this exploration of American history, right? We sort of shift gears there from Filipino history to American history. And I sort of wanted to introduce America in their own words. From page 93 to page 97, Albert presents without comment dozens upon dozens of infuriating, condescending, racist quotes from the Philippines' brand new colonizers, from Taft, from McKinley, from Rudyard Kipling, from Elihu Root, to an unnamed black soldier based in the Philippines who sardonically takes up the white man's burden of pacifying colored people. This is the only spot in the book where Albert does this. After page 97, the heartbeat of the text returns to normal. The coming of America to the Philippines is a little personal to him. After all, his family is Filipino, and in the century after the U.S. conquest of the Philippines, his family came to America to chase a dream. Welcome to the Colonial Department, a podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine history and bring them to life. In this episode, we're doing something a little different. We're talking to a storyteller and a journalist and an award-winning author, one who is descended on his mother's side from Maranao Sultans and Manila revolutionaries. His name is Albert Samaha, and he is the author of a critically acclaimed book on a very unique family. This is Season 2, Episode 7, Conceiving Concepcion, Part 1. First of all, let's introduce you to the writer of Concepcion. My name is Albert Samaha. I'm an equality editor at BuzzFeed News, uh, an investigative journalist and author of the book Concepcion, An Immigrant Family's Fortunes, uh, which traces my family's history uh, from their pre-colonial times in the Philippines through their journey uh, to the U.S. and sort of uh, my own journey of understanding uh, what brought us to the U.S., um, why my elder sacrifices in the U.S. Uh, were necessary, uh, and how to make those sacrifices uh, worth it. Samaha grew up on the West Coast, among an extended family that firmly believed in America's own myths about itself. Until he was older, he never questioned these myths either. The Empire had been good to him, he wrote. His parents, Lucy, a Filipina who defied her conservative father 
by daring to become a flight attendant, and Fahim, the Lebanese businessman who married her, they made sure Albert went to good schools. He goofed around with friends, exchanged notes with his cool cousin Jed, and threw himself so madly into the sport of football that his name made it to a local newspaper as one of his school's three players to watch. But even so, for the family, or his barangay as he called them, the American dream was wearing thin. Over hushed voices, the older generation, who had uprooted their lives in the Philippines to move to the States, talked about the maxed out credit card debts, or the crushing carpool commutes, or the bank accounts that seemed to have sprung a leak. Much of Albert's extended family had relocated to America, but one oddball older relative, the youngest brother of his grandfather, had carved himself a strange life in Italy. His name was Tomas Fernandez Concepcion, and he would be the first to introduce Albert Samaha to a family heritage and a family history that dates back centuries. In his Lolo Tomas, Samaha felt he had found a kindred spirit. Obviously, there's the sort of creative artist um, connection. Um, also, you know, he's the youngest among his siblings. I'm the youngest among my cousins. And we were both sort of like the young, creative, artsy types. Um, and in many ways, he's my role model. Albert Samaha first visited his granduncle for a summer trip in 2009. By then, thanks to the patronage of an Italian count, Tomas Concepcion lived an idyllic life in the city of Tarquinia, where painted Etruscan tombs older than the Roman Empire slumbered inside the hill. There, surrounded by bronze sculptures, inside a house owned by an aristocratic bloodline, Tomas lit up a cigarette and introduced Albert to his own royal ancestry. The Concepcions traced their lineage to Bay Angintabu, the Maranao matriarch who was one of the wives of Sharif Kabongsuan, the first Sultan of Maguindanao. Also among their distant ancestors was Sultan Kuderat, who united the Muslims of Mindanao into a great alliance to fight off the Spanish invasion. In the town of Dansalan, Sultan Kuderat assembled the emissaries of the Sultanates and gave a rousing, impassioned speech that would forever be immortalized in Moro history. For centuries, Albert Samaha's ancestors lived in Dansalan by the shores of Lake Lanao. Of course, the name Dansalan is no more. The city is now known as Marawi. Yes, that same Marawi that ISIS-affiliated militants tried to conquer in 2017. Despite the fierce, centuries-long defense of the Moros, the Spanish managed to make a few inroads against the inconquerable island of Mindanao. In the late 1800s, Albert Samaha's great-great-grandmother, Princess Emilia Batobato, realized the futility of resistance. Her father, one of Lanao's four sultans, signed a peace treaty with Spain, and Princess Emilia herself so completely converted to Catholicism that she rejected the colorful outfits of the Maranao people and dressed up like a monk. She also ended up marrying a colonizer, a soldier named Juan Fernandez, who was part of the Guardia Civil stationed in the territory. Spain gave way to the US, and the Philippines traded one foreign ruler for another. You hit a beach like this down south on the island of Mindanao, you'll meet this kind of Filipino citizen, the Moro. Juan and Princess Emilia had a daughter named Luisa, who married Jose Concepcion, 
a postmaster for the new American administration in Dansalan. It is Jose's family name that would later grace the title page of Albert Samaha's novel, published a hundred years in the future. Luisa and Jose would go on to have seven kids. We've already met the youngest, Tomas, who became a creative and political force. The second oldest daughter, Caridad, would become a spy for the Americans during World War II and later pave the way for the Concepcions to migrate to the United States. And the middle child, Manuel? He would grow up to become a restless treasure hunter, married to a woman named Rizalina Chanco. Manuel and Rizalina went on to have many grandchildren, and one of them was Albert Samaha. Let's move on now from Marawi and on to Manila and pick up the threads of Albert's lineage from there. In March 1893, a young 18-year-old woman named Gregoria de Jesus married a fervent nationalist who simultaneously idolized Jose Rizal and was head over heels in love with her. This man, of course, was Andres Bonifacio, founder of the Katipunan. Inducted into the Revolutionary Society, Gregoria de Jesus took the name Lacambini. Gregoria and Andres were first married in a church ceremony to please her parents, but because the Katipunan rejected the Catholic Church as a tool and symbol of the occupiers, they also had a second secret ceremony conducted under Katipunan rites. When Bonifacio was betrayed and executed by Emilio Aguinaldo's faction, the relatives of Gregoria de Jesus changed their names and moved away from Luzon. One relation changed their name to Chianco and moved to Leyte and then eventually Dansalan. At school, as they memorized the Gettysburg Address and learned about the benevolence and bravery of the Founding Fathers, Rizalina Chanco, whose name was inspired by the national hero, became fast friends with the studious Manuel Concepcion. As Samaha poetically put it, the descendant of a revolutionary and the descendant of a sultan fell in love, with the flag of the United States fluttering above them. But the Concepcion's family history would eventually bend once again to Manila and collide with yet another colonizer. Do we end up in this like tragic historical irony where the world's first non-European global empire partners with a genocidal Aryan supremacist empire, right? And the way I learned about it in school was it was just sort of like self-interest that, that drove Japan into partnership with Hitler. But that overlooks all the ways Japan wanted to contribute and participate in the sort of Western cause and aspired to be like the West and wanted to partner with, with America and Britain and France and constantly rejected at every stage. The Philippines would be one of the many victims of this tragic historical irony as Samaha called it. Luisa and Jose Concepcion had moved to Manila at the end of the Great Depression in search of more opportunities and when invasion commenced right after Pearl Harbor, a date which will live their second eldest, Caridad Concepcion, was starting her second year at the Philippine Normal College. War put a stop to all of that. At the height of the Japanese occupation, Caridad volunteered at a cafe near a Japanese prisoner of war camp outside of Manila, feeding rice cakes and coffee to prisoners of war and Japanese soldiers alike during breaks in their work detail. But she was also a spy for the resistance and a third lieutenant in the live or die unit 
it was her job to gather the names of prisoners of war and pass them along to other members of the underground. One day though, a Japanese soldier overheard Caridad asking the prisoners their names. Swiftly moving up to her, he drew his sword and placed it right next to her neck and accused her of being a spy. Caridad thought fast. Only Japanese officers carried swords, and this one's English carried a British accent, likely making him a part of the imperial aristocracy. Here was a man whose entire mindset was built on dominating people who were lesser than he was. In front of such a man and his deadly samurai sword, Caridad, the descendant of sultans, humbled herself even further, breaking her English and breaking into tears, insisting that she was only a poor cafe server trying to make a living. In fact, she said the only reason she was getting the prisoners' names was so she could list them down in the receipt she would send to the camp commandant. You know, so she would get paid. Caridad's ruse worked. She survived that day and many other close shaves in the war. She would later become the first of the Concepcions to move to the United States, where Albert Samaha was born. In writing about Caridad, Samaha realized something essential about her Philippine colonial history. That, that, that scene you mentioned of Caridad with the sword on her neck, where she uses the Japanese soldier's racism in order to trick him, pretending that she's just a, a humble poor servant who barely speaks English because she knows that he holds this, this, this racial superiority that will categorize her as like a helpless woman who doesn't you know, know any better. And sort of the ways we, we, we take advantage of the situation as a colonized people in order to continue to climb the ranks and eventually topple the colonizer um, is something to be proud of. And, and so I was really interested in this idea of, of, of transforming this survival tactic from something that had carried shame for me into something I feel really proud about. Of course, beyond the colonial era of the Philippines, the Concepcion's family history carries on. But in diving deep into the history of his homeland and the history of his family, what did Albert Samaha learn about his place in the world? What are his thoughts on colonial mentality, on the flow of history, on what it means to be a Concepcion? Find out next week as we carry on our conversation with Albert in Conceiving Concepcion Part 2. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department and thank you too to Albert Samaha for guesting. You can find the book Concepcion An Immigrant Family's Fortunes in Amazon. As of posting, the hardcover edition sells for around $22, while the Kindle edition is $15.99. In the Philippines, Concepcion is available at Fully Booked for $899 pesos. The Colonial Department was created and produced by Leo Mangubat. Follow us on Instagram at The Colonial Department.